Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, guys, welcome back to Training for Manhood. We're back uh, with Gabe and Mike looking at Point Man, How a Man Can Lead His Family by Steve Farrar. Um, session three, we're going to hopefully do chapters six, seven, and eight. Um, we've got some good stuff. Um, now he's going to go on into, uh, as opposed to the negative um, in dealing with adultery, uh, you know, kind of um, what do you need to do to um, make sure that you don't fall away from your marriage. Um, now he's going to move kind of what I think chapter six is um, towards the positive, right? And that is how do you, how do you work together? Right? What does this look like? Um, how do we, um, you know, develop and um, create a marriage uh, that actually has teamwork? And, and he starts off with, um, you know, <laughs> mutual understanding. And, and he, he lays out, uh, for those of you, Gabe, as you said, who are Cowboys fans, um, you immediately pick up on this principle. He says, you have to understand the, you know, the Romo Witten principle, right? One's the quarterback, one's the tight end. Um, you know, how do they work together, right? Ro- Romo's the quarterback. He's calling the plays. He's running things, right? Witten runs the route. And he gets in the ball, right? And it's successful. And it was super successful. And he's just like, that's how a marriage is successful, right? Is you got a man uh, who understands his particular role in leading the family. You've got a woman uh, who understands her particular role in submitting to the head. Those two work together. Um, are there going to be areas where that is not well done? And the answer is yes. Um, but he says, hey, listen, here's here's the concept. When it works and it works well, uh, this is what you'll find, right? Um, A mature man who's going to love his wife sacrificially, right? So he's not going to um, intimidate or, um, you know, lord over that leadership position over her, right? He's going to love his wife with understanding. He's going to love his wife with verbal praise. He's going to encourage his wife to use her gifts. And so it's a really good chapter um, written in a way that helps guys understand what their particular role is. Um, he says, hey, when, when guys don't do this well, right, he's going to lack interest in his wife's input and disregard her feelings. He's going to forbid the children to dis, uh, discuss their decisions. He's going to trust very few people, right, and he's going to display an intense need to control those closest to him. So, guys, I think, you know, these are things that you need to look at and address um, and, and, you know, pay attention to. Um, usually speaking, we don't necessarily see our own faults, right, um, uh, you know. Mike, going back to your point, walking in accountability, walking mm-hmm. in community. This is a great place for another guy as you're reading this book, maybe in a community that you can kind of point out some of the things that you'd say, hey, Mike, hey, Gabe, these are things I see that you need to work on. What do you see in me that I need to work on as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of this is about how you love your spouse, Yeah, which I'll get tyrannical on definitions. I mean, love is the commitment of our will to the betterment of our wife's needs, regardless of the cost to us. When we frame love that way, there's no out for, hey, I'm not happy, I need an affair. Because it's a call for submission to Christ's authority, submission to Christ's model to die to our own needs for the betterment of somebody else. When we frame love that way, it's easy to understand that it's sacrificial and we're there for the betterment of her development, because uh, we're going to have to stand accountable one day. I'm going to sit in front of the throne, and God's going to be like, how did you treat my daughter? And, man, that's going to be real uncomfortable. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, though, too, when you talk about happiness um, and you put in there the idea of the commitment to the betterment of her, right? That's my commitment. Um, I, I think it's interesting, right? Hebrews 12 talks about how um, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, mm. right? And so the, the concept is, is right, the, the, the leader that we follow says that sacrifice brings joy, and it's just like, wait a second. It's like, you know, so it, here's the deal. He, he would say to you, right, well, don't you want me to be happy? And, and Christ would say to you, absolutely. And I want you to find your happiness in sacrificing for the betterment of others around you. Mm-hmm. When you find your happiness in that, here's the cool thing is you can always be happy, <laughs> right? You, 24-7, 365, you can always be happy because everybody will let you sacrifice for them. Right, so if you're happiest when others are doing well, when you're happiest when you've made a sacrifice for the betterment of others, you can always be happy. When you're happiest when others do it for you, then your happiness is controlled by whether they do it or not. Yeah. When, you're, when your happiness is controlled by whether your wife meets your needs, then some days you're happy, some days you're not. When your happiness is how well have you met hers, how well have you sacrificed for her, yeah. right? Then you're happy all the time, because right as Christ found his joy in going to the cross, right? Here, and here's the deal. You have to understand, they didn't take him to the cross. They didn't put him up on the cross, right? He willingly went to the cross. Because right? at, at any particular time, if Jesus wanted to say, you know what, I'm not doing this, he could have stopped it at any particular time. And I think that's the reality for us, right? Hey, listen, here's the deal. If you want to walk away from this marriage, right, you can at any particular time. But I find my joy and my happiness in sacrificing for my wife. So why would I walk away from this? This is what brings me joy, serving others. And you get an opportunity to do it. And we remember the sacrifice 2,000 years later. We don't remember the sandals he wore. Like, like we get so caught up in what we're providing, and we miss, you know, the entire chapter, Philippians 2, where he's talking about the willing servanthood of Christ for the betterment of our need. I mean, like, it's just so convicting. Yep. He came yeah. not to be served, but to serve. To serve. Right? So that's your call. Right? And that's, can I just tell you, I, I wish more premarital counseling would, would focus on that. Right? Here, here, here's, here's what you're signing up for. Right? It's, it's not, um, you know, and, and say, saying this in the right way, right? It's like, you know, hey, she's beautiful and she makes me happy. It's like, that's great. But it, that's, that's not what marriage is and that's not what you're signing up for. What you're signing up for is, hey, does she have needs that you can meet? Yeah. Does she have things where she needs to grow that you can help her, you know, flourish in those areas? Does she have, um, you know, things that you can sacrifice for, right? And and where you can grow and develop in those. And the answer is yes. Okay, great. Go go meet those needs. Yeah, that, I don't remember that in marriage counseling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of that. Yeah. I, the the only thing I would add to this conversation on this is it, obviously he's going to start talking a, a little more about the role of husband and wife. Exactly. Uh, so he's going to run straight to Ephesians 5, um, where Paul outlines for us the roles um, biblically of men and women in the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just, without, without going through all of that, uh, there was a quote that he used in here that I think is, um, it, it really helps kind of give some framework to, um, to how to do this well. Mm. And, and he says, trust is what motivates people to follow our leadership, yeah. mm. uh, whether at work or at home, but trust must be earned. Amen. And I thought, man, that's, that's so important because um, if, if I don't have a track record of intentionally doing things that, um, 
that, that show that I'm willing to sacrifice for my wife or my kids. Uh, if I'm not showing them consistently, uh, as he says in here, like verbally praising my wife and my kids, uh, speaking life and truth into them, uh, then, then I shouldn't be shocked when, they, when my efforts in leadership are met with resistance. Mm. Um, that if just one day I just show up and decide I'm going to be this, uh, this figure of leadership and authority in their lives and then expect them just to follow suit, um, that's going to be tough. Uh, and there's going to have to be some elements of me sacrificing my own pride and yep. thinking that people are naturally going to follow me just because I'm the dad or the husband or yep. the man, yep. um, whether that's, again, at work or at home. Uh, and so this element of like, no, this is something that uh, it's a work in progress every day. Yep. And, and, and the people that are following you sometimes will do it well and sometimes will not do it well. Uh, but all you're doing in your consistency on being intentional in your leadership is building a track record that you can be trusted uh, and that as people trust you more, then they are more willing to fall under your authority, under your leadership, um, it, which then just yeah. bolsters this responsibility to lead well yeah. uh, in all the things that he just mentions in this chapter. Yeah, I'm thinking of a friend um, that has figured this out later in his marriage. Uh, and has kind of, you know, done a 180. And it's a very interesting process to watch. Um, you know, the, the, to, to your point, Gabe, right, if, if you're doing this and you're building the trust and, and you're leading in this particular way from the beginning, right, then then that will be earned and that trust will be given. If, if you're an older guy and you're kind of going, you're listening to this and you're reading this book and you're kind of going, man, I, I've not been doing this and I want to take, you know, a different approach to my marriage and a different approach to, you know, my, my children and you start doing things differently. Can I just tell you, don't don't expect people to go, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you finally got it. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a friend who's basically um, been the provider for his family, right, with a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he woke up one day and just was like, hey, that's not important. I need to spiritually lead my family. And his his family is kind of like, dude, we just want the money. Yeah. <laughs> and his, his conversations with me are always, uh, you know, here, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, I've, I'm having problems with my wife and I have problems with my kids. And I'm just like, here, here's the deal. You've been doing it differently for 20, 25 years, right? It's going to take a little bit of time for people to realize that, hey, the money's not important. You've, you've realized that, but they haven't yet. Yeah, so yeah. just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on moving in the right direction. Keep on loving your wife. Keep on you know, disciplining and discipling your kids. And here's the deal. They'll figure it out eventually yeah. over time, hopefully. Um, but the reality is, is if, if you're coming to this late and you're, you're saying, hey, this is how I want to do it, don't expect everybody to just jump up and down and say, hey, you got it. That's so great. I can't wait to submit to you. You're a wonderful husband. Sometimes people are there and they've, they've got the wrong motivation and you can't control other people's response to what you're doing. Yeah, don't confuse the rank or the role with authority. Yeah. Like he's, your buddy has the rank of provider or the role of provider. That doesn't provide any authority in the house. That's right. It provides things. So you've, you've got to assume the role of spiritual leader. Right. And, and let's just, like, the man that is sold out to following Christ and submitting to Christ, there's not a woman in the world that doesn't willingly, willingly submit to it because she knows he sold out for my benefit to Christ. Yes, it, it, It's the double-mindedness of our actions sometimes that, that cuts our mm-hmm. own authority out from under us. Mm. But, but when the attention is consistent to love the way Christ has loved us, man, everybody's going to sign up to follow that person. Yep. Yeah. And that's what he's talking about. Chapter seven, he starts moving into, um, it says, uh, restoring the ancient boundaries of gender and marriage. 
we start getting into now that we are a um, you know a husband right and a father. Uh, we're going to be raising the next generation, and he says, you know, a child's sexuality is at the very core of his identity. Uh, we need to, you know, grasp that the world is giving our kids a very different concept um, of gender and sexuality. Um, you know, he talks about how, you know, just and this is this is much more current, right? But you know, gender, um, you know, is something that's going to be fluid in our world, and it's not restricted to you know being a man or a woman for marriage. And so, you know, he's like, hey, we got to go back to the Word of God. Uh, we got to, you know, use that as our anchor. Um, he, he brings in Genesis, you know, 127 um, and just does, does a great job of, uh, of helping us understand that this is all part of God's design, uh, gender, sexuality, marriage. Um, I did think it was kind of interesting. He tells the story of Walt Heyer, all right, um, who was one of, the, one of the very earlier transgender individuals. Uh, we actually had Walt come in and speak at BWI when we did uh, the issue of uh, gender, um, gender identity. And so I know his story very well. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good information out there. Um, he does a good job of, of touching on um, a really, really complicated hot button issue in our culture today in a pretty short chapter. Um, but chapter seven is all about just, you know, gender, marriage, um, things that, you know, the last 15 to 20 years in our culture, we have we have drifted away from pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, he's like, hey, you got to You got to go back and understand God's design for this, not man's desire should be the foundation upon which you build. Yeah, I, I'll give a little extra credit here. If you go Google uh, Calvin Robinson, okay. who's a deacon in the Episcopal Church, and he did a debate at Oxford Press, the Oxford Union Press, I think it was. It's maybe a 12-minute treatise on his rebuttal to gay marriage. And maybe the thing that hit the most home, and he was, you know, he was, he was excommunicated from that portion of the Episcopal Church. I don't know where he serves now, but he still serves. But in this nice little short debate, he says, as culture today, we think we know so much more about homosexuality and gender. That's right. But do we really think God knows less? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like this one line right here, yeah. he anchors the entire argument on, in the last five, ten years, so much has changed based on what we're proclaiming we now know. Yep. But do we really think God knew less yeah. as he created the foundations of the earth? So, so he's, he's pulling the argument out so from good. everybody else so saying, good. hey, the foundation is God knows, not me. Yep. I'm going to go with the guy that split the atom and created everything, split night from day. Or am I going to say, yeah, I know a little bit more now. Yeah. So I can define what real is. Yeah. He gives you um, a book um, that's helpful, right? Abigail um, Shire's book, um, Ir- Irreversible Damage. Uh, as we start getting into, you know, LGBTQ plus transgender, um, I'll say that um, recently I watched uh, What is a Woman um, mm. by, give me a name. We're sitting here Matt, Walsh. Matt Walsh. Matt, Matt Walsh. Yep, that's it. Um, again, a, a fantastic examination of the culture, trying to figure out. Um, the, the thing that I was struck in that was um, every time you mentioned the word truth. Um, people had to go by and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you, your truth, my truth, right? I mean, you know, there, there's no concept of just absolute truth anymore. Uh, and gender, sexuality, marriage, all of them now are defined by, you know, what do I want? My happiness, my best interest, you know, my feelings, right? As opposed to God's design and the facts, right? I mean, we've even gotten away from biological facts mm-hmm. on, on gender, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, gender, right, maleness and femaleness um, can't be restricted to what a doctor assigns to you. And so, you know, Mike, when you, when you were born, right, and the doctor said, hey, he's a, he's a male, 
right? That, you know, we've moved away from the facts now and we are, we are not limiting you to the biology, right? Or a doctor assigning a particular gender to you. And so he doesn't get into all that, but that's, that's what our kids are, are facing and having to wrestle with. And so these are good conversations to have with your kids about, listen, here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. And of course, going back to your point, Mike, right? We go back to the word of God because yep. God does not know less about it. Right? He's, he the one, he's the one he who created it. and designed it and wrote about it. So go back to the Word of God and, and dive into that. Anything else on Chapter 7? Yeah, what's funny is, is I, I, didn't, I didn't take a whole lot of notes on this chapter uh-huh. um, just because I was trying to just kind of soak it all in. Uh, but the two things that I wrote, um, read your Bible, men. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> it, that was literally my <laughs> takeaway from the entire chapter. Seriously, yeah. was like, yeah. If, if you want to learn how to navigate these issues yeah. with those that you love, yep. specifically your kids, because that's who our culture, that's who Satan is after with these lies, um, is to read your Bible. Yeah. Uh, and to, again, I'll go back to what I said in the last podcast, that as we read our Bibles, we are then reminded of what God says is true. Um, it, which is everything that Mike just said. Uh, so when we read, we are reminded, and then we're reminded of these ancient boundaries. Uh, just because mm-hmm. they're ancient doesn't mean that they're not true anymore. It doesn't mean that they've changed. Like he mentions the rules of golf. Like they haven't changed. Yeah. Uh, they're still the same. Just because they're old doesn't mean that they're not valid anymore. They're still in place. Yeah. Who, Mike, were you the one who always tells me about the um, before you move a fence? Ask why it was first put there. No, but I wish I did. That's okay. a great sign. Okay, so that, that that's an interesting thing. Mike, I'll take credit for it if you don't no, want to. Mike, Gabe I mean, said it once. It's it's a. My dad was a surveyor. Okay, mm-hmm. and we used to go out and you know boundary. When we talk about boundaries, a, a lot of times in scripture they talk about boundary stones, um, and boundary stones are there so that you can look back and you can say, hey, what are the lines that are drawn? Right, where where's your land mm-hmm. in? Where does mine begin? Right, and that's one of the things that my dad and I have had to used to do. Right, was when there was a dispute about property lines, you had to go back and find the ancient boundary stone that was set. Right, and then everything was measured off of that. Yeah. Okay. And then as as things above ground change, and as culture changes, and as people move things, right? I mean, uh, property lines can get moved and disputed and things like that. But when that happens, you go back to the ancient boundary, you measure off of that because that's the one thing that hasn't changed. And yeah. I think that's a great reminder for us. Anytime we're talking about something, you know, current, um, you know, there are probably some people who think, you know, well, how does scripture, right? This book written two, three thousand years ago, speak to this? And it's like, well, okay, so it's written by a timeless God, <laughs> right? And and the the things that we're speaking to are about the nature of man, which has not changed. Yeah. So so you think, you know, Mike, to your point, right? You think, you know, as we're talking about homosexuality, even or transgender. Right. You know, here's the deal. Scripture actually refers to those concepts. Um, You know, it it talks about, hey, men shouldn't be dressing as women. And you're like, well, you know, this is this isn't 2023. It's being written in. This is thousands of years of years ago. So the nature of man hasn't changed. God has addressed these things. God has spoken to uh, this concept. Right. And you need to go back to the word of God and use that as your ancient boundary stone and then measure everything else off of what you get from that. And if there's something weird or convoluted or whatever, you know, today that you're like, How, what, hey, listen, go back to what you can understand, figure that out, right, and yeah. then extrapolate from there. And, and the Bible doesn't have to measure or mention every wacky right. thing the exactly. world's going to come up with. Yeah. The goal is to study the, the true and authentic godly character that we need totally. so that we can tell the counterfeit. So if a decade from now there's some wacky, you know, gender-fluid zebra concept that we have to debate. We don't. Hey, they, the Bible doesn't talk about gender-fluid zebras. That's okay. It talks about the authentic, godly character we're totally. supposed to have. Yep. So we're still okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, go back to the original. Sorry to zebras. I probably yeah, well, offended the zebra community. Well, and because because all of this is, it's not, as he mentions in here, it's not, these are not genetic issues that we're, mm-hmm. we're dealing with, right? These are sin issues. These are heart issues. Uh, and in the Bible, that's, that's, that's everything that it talks about. Amen. Amen. Chapter 8 talks about how to raise masculine sons and feminine daughters. Um, he starts with a quote by William Penn, which I thought was, um, it's harsh, but actually pretty good. It's very good. Um, Men are generally more careful of the breed of their horses and dogs than of their children. Let's add um, one thing to that. So I took that quote and wrote it today. Okay. I rewrote it for him. Men are more disciplined in the care and maintenance of their blank than they are of their children in marriage. Yeah. Career, car, golf game. like Yards. Yards. Yeah. I mean, I, and I refer often to, you know, Psalm 144.12 that talks about how, how do you know that a nation is blessed by God? And it talks about their, their boys will act like men. And it says that their boys, will, they, they'll be well-manicured plants, which is kind of an you know, interesting thing. But the, the concept is, yeah. is, right, I mean, before I came here this morning, um, I did part of my yard, right? And, you know, I'm out there, you know, whacking the weeds and trimming it up and, you know, making it look nice. And the, and the concept that, that we're going to get in this is, are you more interested in the, in how your yard looks outside or how your kids look inside? Yeah. And that, that's what he's going to get into. So, um, he goes to, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse four gives you this verse fathers. So he's talking to men. He says, fathers do not provoke, Ephesians says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? So he talks about the negative aspect. What does it mean to provoke your children to anger? Uh, what are the things that you can do that are going to cause conflict between you and your children, right? Overprotection, favoritism, discouragement, right? All these different things, neglect, right? And then what are the things that you should be doing, okay? Listen to them, right? Um, apolo- learning to apologize to them, right? Um, touching them, right? Good physical, intimate touch, right? Considering their temperaments, right? So those are all things that he is um, addressing. Um, he's going to get into uh, Ricky Shillette material, right? Which for those of us who've been around here for a while, right? Super, super big fan of Ricky Shillette. He's got an incredible ministry called Living Hope Ministries. Um, and he, he talks about just where does gender and sexuality come from? Um, and he's like, it, it is something that comes through, um, you know, nurture, um, as the as the man raises his boys, um, he has three A's that he is supposed to give them: attention, affection, and affirmation. Uh, when those three are not given, um, boys will go find them somewhere else, uh, and that usually leads to um, bad things. Um, so, whether you have, as Ricky would say, a rough and tumble boy or a sensitive boy, um, all of them are males and can be masculine. And so, don't let culture define what masculinity is. Let the Word of God define it. Right? You can be a sensitive young man or a sensitive man, um, you know, who's artistic, and that's a man. Right. I look back throughout history and some of the great arts, some of the great chefs, some of the great whatever have been men. Um, Now, some of the great warriors, right, have been men. Some of the great men have been both David, right, the warrior poet. Um, And so just, you know, that that concept as he goes through, if you want to create, um, you know, boys who love the Lord, um, figure out how God designed them, equip them. And then as a as a dad, lean into that and steer them in that direction, because that's your job as a man. And the warning here is if you don't do that, they will find it somewhere else. Amen. That, yeah. Like, you know, it, yes. I can see the negative consequences mm. of good things in my boy's life. Yep. I can see, you know, my oldest loving rock climbing, but the friends around rock climbing were not glorifying God. And he soaked that up just as much as he did rock climbing. Amen. Like, if if we don't step up, if we don't 
provide the leadership here. They'll find it somewhere else. Yeah. And the other part of that is um, you can't do it alone. So, no. so who are the other men that love the Lord that are speaking into the lives of your kids? And I know, Mike, you've got some other men. I, I've got a tribe. Like, like literally, <laughs> it used to be in the tribe mentality, yeah. the boy would get to a maturing age where he would then just hang out with the warriors of the tribe. Yep. And it wouldn't mean he's a warrior. It means he was in the apprenticeship to be a warrior. That's right. And he would eventually have to pass the trial to, to do that. Yep. Raising a Monaghan Knight, uh, I know, is a great book you've always referenced. That, yep. that kind of defines, okay, here's, a, here's a, a ceremony to define it. Yep. But we have lost the concept of, okay, I, I want to have my son play on teams where I see the man leading that team is a man after God's own heart. Right. And he's trying to raise men, not D1 athletes. I want to have him in the church around other men that will speak the same thing I'm speaking to because for some reason, when I say these words, they mean nothing. But when a different man of Amen. same heart says them, Amen. they mean everything. everything. I want a man that will criticize my boy and lift him up to be better, just as I have to do the same thing. If the whole tribe does it, he'll get it. If yeah. I'm just trying to do it, I'll wear out, you know, and he'll tune me out eventually. It's why they eventually have to change coaches in professional sports because they're tired of hearing the same man say the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I actually saw your notes you sent me, and you had a list of men yes. that have spoken into the lives of your boys. And it was just, it was neat to see that list that you put together. Yeah. There's, I, trust me, I, I need every one of them to help carry, carry the water with me. I can't do it on my own. Amen. Nor was I ever supposed to. Yeah. I think there's so, there's so many good things in this chapter. Just, I mean, he, he's really practical in, in just parenting overall. Um, and, and, and it, as he walks through Ephesians 6, 4, uh, it's really helpful. And one of the big things that I just wanted to point out in this parenting thing that has always been so helpful for me, um, and I think especially for boys, uh, is helping them to understand the why um, behind whether it's issuing discipline yeah. uh, or even just the why behind uh, the way we do things, the way we think about things. Um Instead of just issuing consequences or just mm -hmm. telling them what to do and expecting them to blindly obey, uh, uh. if we can help them understand the why behind things, which again goes back to our, our, us being firmly rooted in yeah. God's Word, um, but if we can help them understand the why, then all of a sudden uh, it's almost like we're, we're rationally um, helping them understand, man, this is important and this is why it's important. It's yeah. because these things honor the Lord. These things are for your good. Um, um, and, and all these things, and I thought just thought practically for, for a, from a parent standpoint, uh, helping our our children understand uh, the why behind the things we say and the things that we do and the things that we value uh, is is really really important. It's amazing you bring that up because that was the biggest challenge in my parenting. Like I, I unfortunately default to being a drill sergeant, do what I say because I'm the drill sergeant, and that carries no love. That's provoking my sons to anger. But when I make the transition to, okay, we're both worshiping God, you shouldn't do that, not because I say you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that because we're both worshiping Jesus, and you and I both know what Jesus says about what you just chose to do. Yeah. It, it dramatically changed arguments because he wasn't arguing with my authority anymore. He was arguing with God. Yeah. And boy, that, that took a burden off of me to try to refine somebody's soul I could never refine to begin with because that's the Holy Spirit's work. So once I cross that chasm, okay, I don't have to be his drill sergeant. I have to be the man that leads him. 
and calls him out and challenges on who he's following already. That that transforms what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, it uh, takes parenting out of the role of like trying to um, make little moral beings that do yeah, all little, the right things clones. and say the right things, um, and and we start shaping hearts. See, yeah. he even says in here that we've got to remember that uh, that our boys uh, or in this case, even our girls, yeah. uh, we're not made in our image. They don't have to like the things we like. They don't have to do the things we do. Yeah. They were made in God's image. Uh, so above and beyond all of the things that we want them to say and do and be, um, it's more important that they love the Lord and they do what he's created them to do and be. It makes parenting so much easier. And I'll, I'll reference Vody Bauckham here. He's got a great quote. You know, we talk about all these influences, how we've got to lead. The, the people around our kids have to be of the same worldview as us. We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come back Romans. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's Oof. just so ouch. And, and we've, so good. we've got a government who dictates an educational philosophy that is devoid of raising men. That's right. The raising rule followers. Yeah, like, that's right. You know, if you, if you just, just go to your son, go to your daughter, especially sons, and say, how many men are in the educational system that he interfaces with on a daily basis that is going to mimic what I want him to be? And you'll be shocked. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, there's chapter eight. So there's um, six, seven, and eight. Um, good stuff. And uh, um, next week when we come back, we're going to be talking about the uh, the girls raising daughters. So Thornberry, you got. I'm going to have very little to you say. Got nothing to say, man. You got no. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, Gabe, you know, you got four of them. So here we go. We, we, it's we'll, my time to we'll, shine. We'll have a good time, and uh, and we'll finish up next week with chapters nine, ten, and eleven. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.